Howdy. Before we begin today, we'd like to say thanks for listening to the show. And if you'd like to support Come and Take It, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast. You can also find a link at the top of our page at brainstable.com. Enjoy the show. So what you're saying is people a long, long time ago were very, very dumb. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. At the twilight of the Spanish Empire, the province of Texas continued to experience periodic incursions by groups of freebooters known as the filibusters. The last of these, led by Dr. James Long, would see little success in their endeavors, but their impact would be felt for years afterwards. But first, what's your favorite specialty menu item at Whataburger? Well, normally I wouldn't have a specialty menu item. I'm a number one with cheese, sub mayo kind of guy. But if I have to pick, I'd say that the occasional jalapeno cheddar biscuit for breakfast is quite delicious. Mm. I like the honey barbecue chicken sandwich uh, on Texas toast. It's good, and it's very expensive, so I don't get it very often. Well... I'm going to go back to breakfast with Scott and say that when I was a kid, I was a huge fan of the Bob, the breakfast on a bun. But now that I'm a man, I eat a taquito with cheese, sausage and egg, please, all the way. After the failure of the Gutierrez-McGee expedition and the destruction of the Republic of the North in 1813, things settled down in Texas for a few years. A big part of this was the brutal measures taken by Spanish royalist commander Joaquim Arredondo the victor of the Battle of Medina, to root out Republican influences in Texas. The Napoleonic Wars in Europe ended, and the Bourbon monarchy was restored to the throne in Spain. This didn't result in any stability in the Spanish Empire, though. Ferdinand IV was a reactionary despot, and revolutionary activity continued throughout the Americas. By 1816, the revolutionary movement in Mexico had devolved into low-level, bitter, and bloody insurgent groups spread out across the country. Exiled revolutionaries still worked in the U.S. and Europe to raise money and support the various insurgencies throughout the Americas. This resulted in plenty of new opportunities for filibuster incursions into Texas. Despite the control of the interior by Spanish forces, the Texas coast was more difficult to guard and maintain. In 1816, a French buccaneer named Louis-Michel Ari established a base on the southern part of Galveston Island. Ari was essentially a mercenary pirate who'd sold his services initially to Simon Bolivar in Colombia, and later to the Mexican Revolutionary Government. Ari styled himself as a commodore, and his small fleet attacked Spanish shipping in the Gulf of Mexico. Ari was joined by Captain Henry Perry, who'd led the rebels at the Battle of Medina, and was one of the few to escape with his life. Perry had been in Texas since the previous year with a group of Americans intent on making another go of it against Spain. They were joined in November by Francisco Javier Mina, a young Spanish Republican hoping to liberate Mexico from Spain. The three hatched a plan to take the town of Soto La Marina, which is located about halfway between the Rio Grande and Tampico on the Mexican coast, which they believed to be undefended. They planned on linking up with Mexican rebels under Guadalupe Victoria. In April 1817, they set out in Ari's ships with 250 men, many of them Americans, and easily seized the port. However, this is where things go wrong. Ari didn't think the port was defensible and took off with his ships. Perry and Mina agreed to go ahead. Mina took command, but Perry quickly decided that Mina's grand plans weren't going anywhere and realized that Texas was still full of Spanish troops. 
He broke with Mina and left for Texas with 43 men. They walked overland over 375 miles to La Bahia. When they reached the Presidio there, they tried to bluff their way in and force the garrison into surrendering. Now, they nearly succeeded before Spanish reinforcements arrived from San Antonio. Outnumbered three to one, he and his men fought bravely, but they had no chance. Rather than be captured, Perry killed himself by running himself through with his sword. Most of his men were killed, and the few survivors were marched off to prison in Mexico. Mina went ahead with his plan, but was badly beaten by our old friend General Arredondo. He survived the battle and tried to unite the different insurgent groups, but his imperious attitude didn't help him much. In October 1817, he was captured and executed by Spanish royalists. Ari didn't fare well either. When he got back to Galveston, he found that his base had been taken over by another privateer, this one a real pirate by the name of Jean Lafitte. Lafitte was ostensibly also in the employ of Mexican revolutionaries, but unlike Ari, and like any good pirate, he was playing both sides. He was selling information to the Spanish. Ari didn't want to fight with Lafitte's powerful force, so he tried to set up a base on Matagorda Bay, but it failed. He continued to support revolutionary movements in Central and South America and died in 1821, allegedly when he was thrown by a horse. Never leave the boat. He was only 34 years old. Yeah, if you're a pirate, stay on the boat. Stay on the boat. The Ari Mina Perry effort was clearly in support of Mexican independence, but the next and last major filibuster effort in Texas wasn't so clearly motivated. In many ways, it was closer to what Spanish officials suspected of poor old Philip Nolan all those years before, seizing Texas for the United States. Since the Louisiana Purchase, many Americans, especially in the West, considered Texas to be part of the land that France had sold to the U.S. right under Spain's nose. The claims that the purchase extended all the way to the Rio Grande stem from LaSalle's claims back to Texas in the early 18th century, but those claims had always been dismissed by Spain. France never really controlled Texas, and even when Spain owned Texas and the Louisiana Territory, there was a clear administrative delineation between Texas and Louisiana. Spain even claimed that Texas extended as far as the Arroyo Hondo, a small river about 30 miles east of the Sabine River. But the agreement with France, it never specified the boundaries of the Louisiana Purchase. In 1806, Spain and the U.S. nearly went to war over the issue, but another old friend of ours, James Wilkinson, managed to make an agreement with his Spanish counterpart to set up a neutral ground between the Sabine and the Arroyo Hondo. A status quo existed over the next several years, but many people in Mississippi and Louisiana continued to look at Texas with lust for the vast stretches of available land. In 1819, U.S. Secretary of State John Quincy Adams negotiated a treaty with the Foreign Minister of Spain, Luis de Onís, which sold Spanish Florida to the U.S. and set the permanent boundary between Texas and Louisiana at the Sabine and Red Rivers. While this treaty was popular in the East, in the West it was a bombshell. Westerners were infuriated that Adams had conceded Texas to Spain. Feelings were especially high in Natchez, Mississippi, which was a major trading gateway into the western U.S., a young doctor named James Long was a particularly vocal opponent of the treaty and began strongly agitating among his fellow citizens that they should go into Texas and seize it back from Spain. Long had served as a surgeon in the army during the Battle of New Orleans, and more importantly, he was married to the niece of General Wilkinson, who financially supported his nephew-in-law's cause. Long's idea soon developed into a more concrete plan. There would be another invasion of Texas and a new republic established there, that would be used as a base to support Mexican insurgents in liberating Mexico as well. Long was able to connect with a number of prominent citizens of Natchez, as well as exiled Mexican revolutionaries. 
Among these were Samuel Davenport, who had helped finance and supply the Gutierrez-McGee expedition, and the old Mexican rebel himself, Bernardo Gutierrez. Dr. John Sibley was a former government official who also joined the group, as did a young Jim Bowie. Long recruited 300 men, and this force marched across the Sabine to capture Nacogdoches on June 23, 1819. As reinforcements arrived, Long and his companions declared the Republic of Texas and set up a working government. Long sent some emissaries to try to arrange for supplies and alliance from Jean Lafitte and Galveston before going any further into Texas. Lafitte stalled for time, not fully committing, and evidence suggests that he supplied information about Long to the Spanish. He did finally agree in October to ally with Long's government, but by that time Spanish forces were headed towards Nacogdoches. Long was an idealist and personally very brave, but he wasn't much of a soldier. He knew enough to know that his small force couldn't fight 500 Spanish soldiers, though. Long, his family, and most of his men barely made it back to Natchitoches, Louisiana. Some of the men in outposts made their way south and built a small fort on Bolivar Point, which is just across the bay from Galveston Island. Long wasn't done yet. In April 1820, he sailed for Bolivar Point with reinforcements intent on trying again. This time, he was joined by Ben Milam, a Kentucky soldier, merchant, and adventurer, and Jose Felix Trespalacios, a Mexican revolutionary. They intended to use Bolivar Point as a base for further attacks in Texas and Mexico. Long would seize La Bahia, while Milam and Trespalacios would sail down to Yucatan to join the rebels there. Things didn't go well for Dr. Long. Volunteers weren't happy about not being paid, and they began to desert. By December, there were only 50 men under Long's command. They stuck around, though, through the next year and settled in. In September of 1821, Long marched out with 52 men to take the Presidio at La Bahia. They did seize the town, but four days later they were attacked by Spanish troops. It was a bloody fight, but in the end the Spanish troops tricked Long into believing that they were actually revolutionaries as well. Long's been stopped fighting just in time to be disarmed and taken prisoner. Yeah. Now, to be fair... The way that the Mexican Revolution seemed to work was that they very well could have been revolutionaries the day before. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of turning. Long and his men were taken to San Antonio by what were evidently royalist soldiers, and they eventually made their way all the way back down to Mexico City. However, when they got there, they and their captors learned that Mexico, in fact, had become independent from Spain. And so the new emperor, Iturbide, released Long and his men, and they were hailed as patriots and heroes of the revolution. He met up with Trespalacios and Milam and another compatriot, William Christie. He lobbied heavily for open immigration to Texas and for separate statehood for the province, and he may have been considered for a position as the governor of Texas. However, his influence began to wane when Trespalacios ended up with the appointment. On April 8, 1822, Long was shot and killed by a soldier in Mexico City while reaching into his pocket for his passport. Dr. Long was only 29 years old. The shooting was ruled to be an accident, but rumors quickly abounded. Most people came to believe that Trespalacios was behind the murder. Some sources indicate that he saw Long as a threat to his ambitions, especially since Long's uncle-in-law, James Wilkinson, was U.S. envoy to Mexico and one of Iturbide's most trusted advisors. Other stories indicate that Trespalacios was getting revenge because Long had ordered the execution of a nephew who tried to stir up a mutiny against Long at Bolivar Point. Still other reports point to Iturbide himself, who saw the American and his fellow filibuster as a threat to Mexico's possession of Texas. Milam, Christie, and the other Americans in Mexico City blamed Long's death on Trespalacios and were arrested for plotting to ambush him on his way to Texas. 
They eventually were released from prison after pressure from the American government. Long's wife Jane had been left at Bolivar Point back in 1821 with a small party of men. Jane gave birth to a baby girl, Mary, who for many years was claimed to be the first child of Anglo descent born in Texas, though this claim is false, since Anglos had lived and given birth in Texas since around 1800. Now, when Long didn't return, his men abandoned the fort, but Jane refused to leave. She stayed there through the winter with her children and a servant girl. By her own account, she even fired off a cannon to frighten off an Indian raid. In 1822, she finally left the fort when she was informed of her husband's death. She returned to Texas a few years later as part of Austin's colony and died in 1880 at the age of 82, the self-described Mother of Texas. With the independence of Mexico and the death of James Long, the filibuster era in Texas came to an end. Soon Americans would begin to enter Texas legally as part of the first Anglo colonies, but the seeds of conflict were planted, and the memory of the filibusters would continue to color the relationship between Anglos and Mexicans in surprising ways. In retrospect, most of the filibuster efforts were genuinely motivated by a desire to help Mexican independence from Spain. Most of the filibuster efforts were genuinely motivated by a desire to help win Mexican independence from Spain. Certainly that was the primary motivation for Toledo, Gutierrez, Tres Palacios, and Mina, and even some Americans like McGee and Perry. Many Americans did go to Mexico to earnestly fight for Mexican freedom, such as Ben Milam, Peter Ellis Bean, and Samuel Norris, who sided with Mexico against the Fredonia Revolt, and John Bradburn, who had conflict later with William Barrett Travis in Anahuac. But the motivations of Long, and especially Philip Nolan, are much more complicated. Nolan seemed to be out purely for profit. Long seemed to truly want to see a free Mexico, at least part of the motivation of his effort was a separate Texas. Regardless, many in Mexico saw the filibuster movement as an effort to detach Texas from Mexico and read that into any future Anglo efforts in Texas. The desire for separate statehood under the Mexican Republic was seen by many as suspicious. This is to say nothing about the outright rebellious behavior, like the Fredonia Revolt or the later Texas Revolution. When Santa Ana marched against the rebelling Texians in 1836, his standing orders were the same as the orders that his mentor, General Arredondo, had given. All Anglos in a state of rebellion in Texas were to be treated as pirates, to be executed without quarter. Pirates, freebooters, filibusters. Santa Ana saw them all as one and the same. This kind of brings to close the end of this idea of who were these filibusters? Mm-hmm. Now, and, and how they related to Texas. I find it to be an interesting topic because I know for myself, going through school education and learning about Texas and things, that you know we learn a little bit about J- Dr. James Long and there's this mm-hmm. idea of hero, but really you focus more on his wife, mm-hmm. Jane, I think, in that if you just look at what you sort of were taught in school, the way as I remember it is a bunch of people came to Texas and... There was the Battle of Goliad and the Alamo and all this stuff with Santa Ana and it all sort of happens. And they don't give you this piece of history of everything that comes before. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really discuss it nearly at this kind of depth. Right. It, it, it's, it's the added context to the story. And like we said, many, many Americans did go to Mexico and to other countries in South America with a genuine desire to continue the Revolutionary War, you know, to continue to help people find freedom from oppression from a monarch over the sea uh, in the 18-teens and 1820s. Then as those those independence movements ended and maybe the governments didn't turn out as well as people thought they should, especially Americans, that was when things started to shift more towards 
in Texas's case of getting Texas out of Mexico being an independent or going to the United States. But there were plenty of people who did have that desire of we're going here to detach Texas from Mexico. So that did exist. But I think the filibusters really works most in context of the Mexican revolution of the the Mexican war of independence. And we've spent a lot of time talking about that through various episodes. And I think this is just another wrinkle in that and how Texas played a pivotal role in that movement. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, you know, like you said, it it gives a deeper context to what we always learn in school about the Texas Revolution. It just gives, again, like talking about the history of the Mexican Revolution, it goes, you know, there there is a history of this. Mm -hmm. Well, it certainly feels like every time an American went to Spain slash Mexico slash Texas, that if they weren't didn't have intentions of liberation and creating their own government and kind of seceding from whatever power was in charge, they were certainly suspected of it. Mm-hmm. Even even Moses and Stephen Austin were suspected of malfeasance, and they were looked on with suspicion at their, their efforts to get colon, legal colonies in Mexican Texas because the memories of the filibusters were still fresh. And... They had that to contend with, and and we've definitely seen how the filibusters in Texas colored Santa Ana's response to the Texas Revolution very harshly. And you know, we've talked about that was sort of his training ground for being a soldier was that campaign in Texas in 1813. We've seen it more in modern times when we still see these sort of governments interfering with other governments, the destabilization of that, and it's you know, we'll say, oh, well, there's this group and they're freedom fighters one day and then the next day, well, they're... <laughs> they're terrorists. They're terrorists. But, you know, we're talking about Americans who went down there into an unstable place and, you know, had every intention of, of liberation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's the modern feel of, of what Dr. Long accomplished? I, I don't know that he accomplished that much... Um... It was certainly too little too late uh, as far as they had grandiose ideas like of being like the Gutierrez-McGee. The Gutierrez-McGee expedition, that's the one. It nearly succeeded. Long didn't have much of a chance, but it was kind of trying to recapture that feeling. But he was he was very well regarded as an honorable man and as a... As a as a genuine patriot, even though he wasn't a good soldier, so did Wilkinson just hate his son-in-law and was like, you know what, you're you're a good egg. Why don't you just <laughs> nephew round up? Yeah. You know, why don't you just round up a few guys, take them down into this yeah. foreign national hill territory that has reinforced, you know, military embankments. Yeah, I th- and see how it goes. I think one of the things that that strikes me as interesting about these filibusters is they're really very small groups of men. I mean, mm-hmm. you're talking about a group of 50 guys trying yeah. to take over a fort. Yeah. And it's like, well, even if there's approximately an equal number of troops inside that fort, they're in a fort. It's a defensible position. <laughs> well, did they, you know, I mean, in, in ways you wonder, it's like, uh, you know, Nolan was just in it to profit. He was just kind of a profiteer that was there to get some horses and get out. But, you know, these guys, were they thinking like, oh, well, we're going to do this. We're going to have a little success. It's going to ignite a spark. It's going to bring a flood of Americans behind mm-hmm. us. It's going to cause, you know, the locals to rise up and support us. I mean, you know, it's a bit of, it's it's more than just a gamble. It's it's a long shot. It's a romantic 
notion at that of we're going to go in here and advance the cause of freedom mm. with a small group of brave free men mm. can break the yoke of tyranny of those of those uh, who are under absolute subjugation you know so what you're saying is people a long long time ago were yes. very very dumb yes no, well, I, I, and I back to General Wilkinson again. I just love this guy that he's like the ultimate filibuster in that he never got himself threatened. Like he's he helped others go out and do these things and stir up this trouble. Well, that's what generals do. That's that's what. Gen, but he certainly was he was the master at that. Yeah, he was an interesting fellow. Uh, and you know, I I also like that we that there's a connection with Jean Lafitte. Um, <laughs> that uh, what I love about Jean Lafitte is that like, he's a, he's a good pirate. He's playing both sides, you know. He's and but this 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 Ari guy goes off with his fleet to Mexico and then comes back and oh here's another pirate sitting here in his house. You know, <laughs> I've taken over now. Well, I've certainly seen a few, quite a few Jane Long elementaries, and she's 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 very, a lady. Yes. And and to me, I'm like she's the the coolest part of this story is the fact that she was like. You know, he went off. I'm waiting for him. Oh, he died in Mexico City. Okay, well, now we can leave. But, you know, she still stayed around, and she was, you know, a fixture and a figure, and I think it became a... Probably the myth of her is is even greater than the story of her. Self-perpetuated. It was, you know, the stories were... Every good Texan myth is self-perpetuated. Right, but apparently (laughs) she was able to, like, tell Stephen Austin and Sam Houston what to and what for, because she felt she'd earned the cred to do that. She was kind she was the grand old lady of Texas for many, many years. So when you shoot off a cannon at a bunch of, at a Caracua Indian tribe, uh, while you're alone with your three children and your servant girl in a fort in the middle of the winter, I think you kind of do earn a little bit. Yeah, certainly do. Well, that wraps up our discussion of the filibusters. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or support the show at patreon.com slash texaspodcast. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Shaw with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. Do you love the show? Then tell your friends, and go leave a review on iTunes. It's the best thing you can do to help us get noticed and reach new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas Texas wants wants you anyway. anyway.